Hello, everybody. I'm Matt Mikuchi, and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. A rolling sea when Jesus speaks to Jonah. A rolling sea when it rolled. A rolling sea when Jesus speaks to me. Hello everyone, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikucci here, coming to you with another episode of a globe-charting series of conversations about jazz and music traditions from all over the world. Jazz is travel. The Grateful Dead, Richard Thompson, Taj Mahal. These are the names of just some of the artists who have been influenced by Bahamian guitar legend Joseph Spence, who was born in 1910 and died in 1984. Yet, if his legacy lives on to this day, it is also thanks to the work of music preservationists like Peter K. Siegel. The famed producer of the historic Explorer series for Nonsuch Records was a teenager when he met Spence in New York City and recorded him in a variety of settings there and in his native Bahamas. It is these recordings that make up a brand new collection of never-before-heard Joseph Spence music titled Encore, unheard recordings of Bahamian guitar and singing, out now on Smithsonian Folkways. In our latest episode of Jazz is Travel, Siegel talks about the legacy of this guitar legend and remembers what it was like to meet him both at home and abroad, as well as the stories behind some of the recordings of this new compilation. Fire up an audiotini and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is Peter K. Siegel. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. And, you know, I like to start the conversations usually by just simply asking, you know, what part of the world are you speaking from at the moment? I'm in New York City on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. All right, all right. I'm I'm currently in in the west of Ireland in Galway, <laughs> my hometown of Galway, Ireland. So, perfect. Yeah, uh, different parts of the world, but um, it's a, it's fascinating to be speaking with you. Actually, in a way, this little podcast series that kind of aims to explore different music traditions from different parts of the world has a lot of what you uh, sort of have been doing for a lot of your your career, right? That's kind of what you did. You traveled to different places and tried to discover different sounds from different parts of the world. That's true. How did you get into doing that? I mean, was this something that you were always interested in? And how did you set about actually doing it? Well, I have always loved different kinds of folk music. Uh, When I was growing up, my parents were part of an earlier folk music revival, if you will, in the 1940s. And they knew a lot of people like uh, some of the Almanac singers. They knew Mill Lampell and in turn knew Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie. And my dad had met Leadbelly. And they also had all the old 78 RPM records around. So I got pretty well steeped in that kind of music. Uh, later on, I uh, worked as, as a recordist, if you will, for Folkways Records for Mo Ash, and then got a job full-time working uh, at Electra Records, where I uh, 
saw the opportunity to start a label called the None Such Explorer series, which would do traditional music from around the world in a way that maybe no label had ever quite done before. I tried to get very high quality recordings and uh, very well-written liner notes. Uh, so I just got into it pretty naturally. Yeah, and a lot of people remember that Explorer series. It definitely was new at the time because it really put uh, music from all of these different parts of the world out there, some of which had maybe not been as readily available to people. Well, I believe I made the first album of uh, Swedish fiddling music. I, I worked with David Lewiston, who had just returned from Bali to make what I think was the first American record of gamelan music. Wow. And I recorded a lot of South Indian Carnatic music. And the record we're talking about today had something in common with a record called The Real Bahamas that uh, Jody Stecker and I went to the Bahamas and recorded a lot of the rhyming tradition of the Bahamas. Let's get into that, actually. I mean, we're going to be talking about a brand new collection of never-before-heard recordings from the great Bahamian uh, guitar legend Joseph Spence. It's titled Encore, and it's out on Smithsonian Folkways. And let's kind of start easy. I mean, for those who don't know anything about Joseph Spence, how would you introduce him? Well, as you know, it's, it's really hard to talk about music. Uh, it's hard to describe music, and especially someone who's as unusual as Spence. <laughs> but Joseph Spence uh, was a, he, he was a very interesting thing. He was a radical innovator on the guitar, but he was also clearly within the traditions of Bahamian folk music. Uh, and he, he was an amazing guy and an amazing musician. He uh, took traditional songs and certain Bahamian, what they call anthems, which was a kind of religious song in the Bahamas. He took those and he made them into these fascinating improvisations. Uh, he accompanied his playing with some kind of vocalizations, which were not exactly singing. You'll hear them on the records, but he, he was a guy who really took traditional Bahamian music and made it into something very new. I'm kind of curious about this now, but where did you meet him? And when was it that you met him uh, the first time? I met him in 1965. I had heard him before on a Folkways album that was recorded in 1958 by Sam Charters. And I was completely crazy for his music. I loved it. Uh, and at by 1965, I was a volunteer for a group called the Friends of Old Time Music. And the Friends of Old Time Music was dedicated to bringing traditional musicians to the city. These were mostly southern rural musicians, bringing them to the city. So people in the city who had previously heard maybe some great music as folk music, but by performers like Pete Seeger or Odetta, who were great musicians, but we had never heard the real authentic musicians who created the music. So uh, the Friends of Old Time Music was the first group that brought Clarence Ashley or Doc Watson or Doc Boggs to New York City to appear in person. And in 1965, the Friends of Old Time Music brought Joseph Spence and his sister Edith Pinder to New York to appear in a concert in New York. Uh, and 
because I was a volunteer for the group, they asked me to show Spence and his sister around the city, which right. was an incredible opportunity for, I don't know, what was I, 19, I would have been 21 years old. Uh, and that was an absolutely mind-blowing experience because to meet Spence after I had heard his music and was so into his music, to meet him and find he was exactly the same guy. He was spontaneous, outgoing, inquisitive, humorous. I mean, he was an incredible guy. Uh, we went around the city. Uh, I took him to the top of the Empire State Building, which was then the tallest building in the world, and it had an observatory on the top floor. And he just loved it because he had never seen anything from that height. He had, he had never had the opportunity to look down from a great height and see what the world looked like from up there. And he loved it in, I think, the same way he was curious about everything. His, his music demonstrates an interest in exploring different perspectives. And so that was an opportunity for him to see New York and the world in a way he never had. And so I got to know him like that. And uh, later I recorded the concert. Some of the cuts from that are on the new album. And I recorded him at my apartment, which was my parents' apartment, because I was still a kid living at home. Right. Some of the cuts are from there. And then after that, a, a couple of months later, Jody Stecker and I went to the Bahamas and recorded a lot of wonderful music, including recording Spence at his home, and recording Spence with his in-laws, the Pinder family at their home, and those uh, sessions are represented on the new album as well. So, I mean, earlier we talked about kind of this, uh, the, 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 the wide range of influences that came into, you know, the formation of his style. In this album, uh, there's also a wide range of material. Uh, if we look at the tracks that were kind of recorded, was there any thought put into it? Or was it, like you said, as spontaneous as it sounds like he was in, in real life? Well, because this album was put together recently after the fact, when I discovered I still had all these tapes that had not previously been released, right? there was no planning for this album in terms of how we recorded it. Uh, but Spence was, like many traditional musicians, you know, you or I might think this is a real folk song or that's a pop song. Spence didn't care about any of that. He just played what he wanted to play. But also he made these songs his own in a way because, I mean, sure. he's, it sounds like he was very certain of the way he was playing too. And there's a lot of joy in there too. There is. And he, he created his own world of music and he could take in any song and produce an amazing thing from it. So you mentioned that you then traveled to the Bahamas and uh, also were hanging out with him there and recorded a couple of tracks that are on this album there as well. Uh, what was it like there right. then? You talked about your, your experience of being with him in New York, but what about actually being with Spence in, in the Bahamas where he was from? Well, it was a very different setting. And, and I have to tell you, Joseph Spence has never been properly recognized in the Bahamas. People there don't didn't know who he was then, and they still don't know. Wow. There are some people who are big fans of Joseph Spence in the Bahamas who are trying to get him to be known there, but uh, really he's pretty unknown in his own home country. Uh, so where the experience of being with him in the Bahamas was that he was greeted warmly by his neighbors, but he wasn't any big celebrity, whereas in New York 
all these people had heard of him and heard his first record and they were like completely awed by him. The thing is, Spence was just the same person no matter where he was. He didn't care whether you thought he was a big star or whether you uh, didn't know who he was. He was just an outgoing, friendly guy, and it didn't seem to affect him at all. She say leave out the harbor, run come see the rosy. They was sailing down for hundreds, run come see, run come see. Sailing down for hundreds. When they get to hundreds, come see, run come see. When they get to hundreds, a crazy bill we have a Toria, run come see, run come see. Crazy bill we have a Toria, run come see the rose. Captain say this look like judgment, run come see, run come see. Look at judgment. He couldn't get in the channel, run come see, run come see. He couldn't get in the channel. The song you are hearing just now is Joseph Spence's only ever recording of Run Come See Jerusalem. In a moment, Siegel will tell us all about Spence's personal connection to this famous composition and the amazing story behind this very recording. But I wanted to take a break to make sure you knew that this is one of the tracks from the new collection of never-before-heard Joseph Spence recordings called Encore, Unheard Recordings of Bahamian Guitar and Singing, released by Smithsonian Folkways Recordings on July 16th. Stay tuned for the second part of our conversation with Peter K. Siegel. You mentioned there's a story behind Run, Come, See Jerusalem uh, that you wanted to kind of share. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing because uh, this is the only recording of Spence doing a song called Run, Come, See Jerusalem, which is a ballad about a shipwreck that took place uh, in 1929. There was a ship called the Pretoria that uh, was capsized during a huge hurricane in 1929 in the Bahamas and 27 people were drowned. Uh, at that time, Spence was living on Andros Island where he was born and the Pretoria wrecked right outside the Fresh Creek Harbor Channel in Andros Island. So he was up on a hill as a 19-year-old man and he saw this boat sinking and he ran down to the harbor to try and rescue people. And unfortunately, he was not able to rescue anyone. The most he could do was aid in the recovery of the bodies of the people who drowned. But it was a big local story. And another singer from Andros Island named John Roberts wrote a song about it called Run, Come, See Jerusalem. Wow. Now that song became a big local hit in the Bahamas. It was recorded by a, a Bahamian singer named Blind Blake, not to be confused with the blues singer named Blind Blake, but this was uh, Blake Alfonso Higgins. He was a local recording artist in, in Nassau. 
he learned the song and he recorded it. And from there, it became popular in the United States where it was recorded by the Weavers. Uh, Pete Seeger and Arlo Guthrie did a version together. Odetta did it. All kinds of people did this song and it became very well known as the ballad of a shipwreck uh, called the Pretoria. Spence, who had been there at the time and who knew the song, somehow never recorded it. But when I was going through the old tapes that I had to see what was there, I discovered I had what turned out to be the only recording of Run, Come, See Jerusalem by Joseph Spence. And he's singing a song about something he's very familiar with. And you can hear on the record how he exclaims and shouts out things that are still fresh in his mind from the day of the shipwreck. So he had a personal connection with the song. Was he aware of that, though, that, that he had a personal connection with the oh, song? Oh, absolutely. He told uh, the story of it. Wow. Uh, he just somehow had never recorded it before. Wow, that's a that's an extraordinary story, really, yeah. From hearing the record, one of the things that really... St- well, there's a couple of things that really stood out to me. But that sound uh, from that guitar, I don't believe I've ever heard anything like it uh, coming out of a guitar in any recording. Was it a, the, the particular guitar that he was using was it the recording equipment first there are two different guitars on the album spence owned a harmony guitar it was an f-hole guitar an archtop f-hole guitar made by harmony and you can hear that sound on his first folkways album and it's on about half of the songs on the new album and that has a classic archtop f-hole sound and it was not a fancy guitar so it's sort of a uh it has a slightly cheap sound to it but he used that to his advantage yeah remember he played everything in a drop d tuning so the d was tuned down then about half of the other songs on the album were recorded at my apartment and he was playing my guitar which was a martin d28 uh and that has a very different sound And I I might add the irony I felt at the situation that here was Joseph Spence playing my guitar and I had a better guitar than Joseph Spence. That is just (laughs) ridiculous. I'm some 19-year-old kid and I have a better guitar than Joseph. But that's the way of the world, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, yeah. But but so you have those two different sounds. The sharper-sounding one is the harmony. The deeper-sounding one is the Martin. And I recorded all the songs on a uh, Nagra tape recorder, which was a very actually high quality tape recorder that was portable so you could carry it around. And I used a Sony condenser mic, which was quite good. And really the the sounds on the album are what he sounded like. I didn't do anything fancy to change them. Right. But was he was he meticulous about the instruments that he would play or could he just play just about anything? I mean, was his approach to his instruments as spontaneous as, you know, we talked about his choice of material or whatever he was interpreting was. Yeah, I think it was that spontaneous. I don't think he spent a lot of time thinking about the instrument the way a lot of guitar players think. I I think if there was a guitar there, he'd pick it up and play it and have a good time. I mean, speaking of the influence of Joseph Spence's uh, influence on on the music that came after him, you know, he influenced quite a lot of musicians uh, you know, from Richard Thompson to the Grateful Dead and beyond. Uh, what is it right. do you think makes his music so timeless? I just think it's the pure joy and 
it, it, it's a combination of things. He's a very sophisticated musician. He has the sophistication of a great jazz musician, a great improviser, and at the same time, he has this boundless enthusiasm, an almost like childlike sense of wonder, which it, it's unusual to hear a musician with that kind of sense of wonder and honesty, and also he's a great improviser. So it's a combination that you don't always hear. Uh, for your listeners, I, I think we didn't mention it. Joseph Spence was born in 1910, and he passed away in 1984, just to give right. it a little grounding in time. He was yeah. born in Andros Island, the largest island of the Bahamas, and uh, later in his life he moved to Nassau on New Providence Island in the Bahamas, mainly because he could get more work there. He was a carpenter and a stonemason. He never really made a living at playing the guitar. He never made a living out of playing the guitar. That's interesting. Despite like the respect and uh, the admiration that he also enjoyed in different parts of the world, that it is interesting to point out that he never made a living uh, playing the guitar. No, and he, he was not really appreciated in his hometown. Uh, and, and of course, even the recordings he made in the United States, they were popular in the United States and in England, but among a fairly small slice of the population. So they weren't big hit records that would make a lot of money for him. Yeah, that's, that, that's true. I mean, but that, that kind of goes to show that, uh, in a sense, music preservation, that's why it's important, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's my personal goal in life right. is, is to make this kind of music available for people to hear. So you must have a lot of other music in your archive that you, you need to figure out and need to kind of see whether you can put it out somehow, right? I think so. Uh, about one year ago, Smithsonian Folkways put out an album I made by Doc Watson and his father-in-law, the fiddler Gaither Carlton. And Doc Watson was actually a much more financially successful musician. A lot of people knew him all over the world. But I put out an album that showed a different side of him playing at home with his father-in-law, the fiddle player, Gaither. Uh, and it was a kind of traditional music that they played at home, which was very different. And I, I thought it was important, and Smithsonian Folkways thought it was important to let people hear that kind of music, too, coming from Doc. It's a whole different side of him. So, yes, I've been doing that for a while. Yeah, and I think that's it's it, it's incredibly it's an incredibly important uh, work to do, and and of course this uh, this record definitely shows how awesome this music was and how it should be remembered and appreciated and totally can be appreciated today as well. I think it's it's a great album, and so Peter, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure speaking with you about it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you and your listeners. Another great conversation in our Jazz is Travel podcast series. I hope you enjoyed it. I remind you once again that encore, unheard recordings of Bahamian guitar and singing is out now on Smithsonian Folkways Recordings, and I suggest you get your hands on a copy. As for this podcast series, we will return with more globetrotting conversations on jazz and music traditions from all over and all time next week. 
In the meantime, check out jazzes.com, our regularly updated website for newbies and aficionados, featuring plenty of features, news, reviews, and all sorts of fun stuff and great exclusive content for those who subscribe. Till the next time, stay healthy, stay safe, stay strong, and I'll see you soon. Ding, 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 ding.